You're listening to another episode of the Get The Shot podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on social media, on Instagram at Get The Shot podcast and on Twitter at GTS underscore podcast. Now, without further ado, on with the episode. Welcome to episode 23 of the Get The Shot podcast with your host, John Willis at JRE Willis. Billy at BFHUK. And Josh Deakin, at Mr. Josh Deakin. Okay, you join us for episode 23 then, where we're looking at photography myths, things that uh, people often say, but you might not necessarily need to believe. So, Billy, do you want to start us off with our first myth? Of course I do. So, our first myth is um, being a photographer is so easy. And I think maybe a lot of people think this, you know. I think um, it's it's the same with photographers thinking about models and sort of how you have the same myth that you know modeling so easy but when you actually do it which I've tried before it's very difficult and the photographer part and they go ahead and tell you it's not as easy you know um I went to uni so I started on film so that was not easy and they make you start on film but you you have to learn aperture you know ISO all the fun stuff that people learn on auto so um no i don't think it's very easy but you know it's open to interpretation guys but you can say some words if you want well yeah i mean i personally think that um photography is one of those things where i think in society it's perceived as being easier now than it ever has been with digital photography and particularly with uh smartphone technology that's pressing on um Mm. but i think um it's one thing uh being able to take photos easily and it's another thing being able to take what would be regarded as technically good photos like yeah anyone could take a photo with their phone but if if it's blurry or it's really gainy then what's the point yeah and i mean modern cameras and stuff like that i think are helping along that and i think we'll see more of that as we go through and when we get more uh of the stuff that's in smartphones currently making its way into uh, mirrorless and digital SLR cameras. Yeah, um, it just seemed that a lot of the makers of photography, uh, you know, photography cameras are also either they've got a separate company that's in that division of that stuff. So like, I know Samsung do their own sorts of their own camera types. Like I think they do uh, mirrorless cameras. I, I have done some in the past. So like that's where their technology has probably been learning. But I know Sony probably has a better has a better chance of this because they've been testing out things in their Xperia phones. Because obviously they've been using Zeiss lenses for years, and obviously Zeiss is the is the the lens produ- produ- uh, producer for the Sony cameras, right? Well, they the don't. They don't yeah, they don't just produce for Sony, but they produce a, a lot of lenses, and they're highly regarded lenses. But I think, like mm. you say, the Sony stuff. I think they have a link in with smartphone manufacturing that Canon and Nikon and Fuji and people like that don't necessarily have. So the Sony cameras might be the first cameras that perhaps make that jump to using some smartphone technology like um i don't know being able to uh i don't know maybe well i suppose ultimately they might start using things like the the ai in their phones to like make sure that the sky isn't blown out so pulling the highlights down in yeah, camera like i don't know if it's just me being biased but um you can have all these lovely phones and all these lovely cameras and there can be top quality and we've had this conversation before but you know if you're taking a picture um and it's easily done blurry i was taking a picture of because we've had a lot of planes go over raf planes and stuff um and they come quite close to me so i had my phone out and my phone's all right taking photos 
and I've, I've pulled it up to take a photo and oh my god right I zoomed in way too far so it's crap and then I, I missed off half of it and the plane it was yeah. quite big I don't know how I had this complex um but I feel like um it as much as people don't want to you know debate this it, you know photography is creative photography mm. is still an art and I think you know um as easy like you know you there's a lot of tattoo artists and you have to be good. You know, you have to be good at drawing to be able to do that. It's the same as being a photographer. Like, you know, you have to, be, you have to be and have some kind of creative eye to be good at that. You know, um, I don't think you need to do special courses. I don't think you need to do much. You just have to listen to the advice we've gave you a million times and just take some photos, you know? And I think, uh, there's quite a lot of people, isn't there, that would definitely have talked about the fact that, um, some of the be- the most highly regarded photographers in the world are self-taught um, mm-hmm. because they've gone out there and they've learned from doing the craft, you know, so they've gone out and taken photos. So I think, you know, it's not definitely not easy, especially, I suppose, when you get into that challenging lighting environments where it relies on you understanding why something doesn't look right. Um, and yeah, why you- it doesn't work. Yeah, and, and how you can fix it, you know, so... Um, whether that's the fact that at night time, for example, when there's very limited light and trying to work out why it's, you know, such a noisy photo and it's because your eyes are I think I messaged 10, you, didn't I? I messaged you the other day because we had yeah. um, the satellites going over. Yeah, you were asking there was, a, there was like a line of them. Yeah. And I was like, I want to take a picture, John, but I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do I, am I going higher? Am I going lower? And what? Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because it's you do it through... I mean, I certainly have learned a lot of my photography stuff through experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. Me I, 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 I mentioned to both of you guys that I went out shooting with another photographer uh, over Canic Chase um, one of the evenings for our uh, allocated daily exercise. Well, which now you can have as you much as you want. You can have loads now. You can go out all day now, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can sunbathe, Unlimited. as Boris said. You can sunbathe. So, yeah. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is, is that um, whilst I was taking a photo of the sun, coming through the trees which is the one that you commented on the other day uh last night i think it was josh um yes oh, I meant me i did see it and i was yeah. gonna comment um but that um that photo to get that star effect on the sun where it sort of goes poof you use a really really small aperture so I, in my case i used f20 um yeah and what it does is it creates like stars of any lights coming through and the person i was with um didn't know uh, that you could create those star effects by making the aperture smaller, like, and it was a setting that he said, like, oh, I would never have used that setting yeah. in a million years because it's not something yeah. I would have thought to use because we're instinctively told to try and get as much light as possible into the camera, so it goes against uh, what a lot of people would think is a natural setting. Uh, but it was it was one of those things where I knew that everything that was in shadow because of me like starving the camera of lights so all the front bit with like I have mm. like bushes and stuff like that and like fir trees and stuff like all that was going to be pitch black on my camera but I knew that it was there I just had to bring it back in editing and pull the the shadows up um but what it meant was I still had that sort of uh, that option of um that really beautiful sunset coming through the trees and and sort of mm-hmm. like bursting through um, so you that, didn't sacrifice anything. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's, that's not easy. That's not easy, and it's something that you only learn by doing. I think you know. Mm-hmm. So, any thoughts, Josh? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't seem to realise with photography is that a good photo and a bad photo are the, are not the same thing. Like some people think that 
that like uh, their photo is good, but then there's things about it that are bad. So like, there's I think ultimately speaking, when you're taking photos, you, you, you're not always going to take a photo that's going to be completely accurate. Like there's going to be things that you need to edit out later. And I, I mean, we're, that's not even scratching the surface where we're talking about, you know, like camera profiles for raw photos when you go into somewhere like Lightroom or Photoshop and you find out what your cameras, you know, you, you turn on all the things that basically would make it more accurate to what your camera lens should see. So obviously the lens correction is what I'm explaining. Mm -hmm. Um, and for an, I'm probably saying an amateur is even, not even the right word to describe some people, but just, you know, normal everyday people who will just maybe try and pick up a camera and take a photo and expect instant results. It's not the, the difference between your, your phone and your, the camera are so different. Yeah. There's a comparison of the phone and camera becoming very close to it. That's no, there's no dispute in that, but the aperture on your camera and the aperture on your phone are I'd like to say they're light years apart because the reason why people complain about smartphones uh, being you know rocky on the table is because the lens has to protrude from the ca uh, from the phone's body and if it doesn't do that it can't have enough room to get aperture spacing because the, the with the lenses that we all use they they're big enough where there's a enough room for the light to travel down it and you know it's it's part of the reason why if you've ever done an experiment with string you know how how, it, how the sound passes down the string between the two cans it's that it's not the exact same you know one for one but it, it's the same thing you've got to have enough length for it to work and phone cameras are never ever going to get completely close to it without yeah. machine learning potentially yeah and i don't think i don't think we'll ever get to the point i don't think phone manufacturers will decide to like no. uh to add add-on lenses that you like screw onto your smartphone because i just don't that would think be so be a cool, but you can you can get them no i know you can get them Sorry. yeah i know you can get like moment lenses for like um iphones and stuff like that where they do like wides ultra wides telephotos and that sort of stuff if you've but... used those and you're listening to this message me i want them tell yeah. me and i think i think the thing is is you know like things like moment lenses they're quite expensive generally speaking for what they are because all they are really is an add-on lens you're still using the same glass, camera yeah. Yeah, you're still using the same camera lens effectively on your iPhone or whatever. So it can be quite difficult, um, which leads us nicely on to point number two, which is great photos need expensive gear. Now, it kind of seems like we're, I suppose, being a bit hypocritical given the fact we've just said that, you know, like photography is not easy and you need to understand your gear and stuff like that. Yeah. But equally, like you can still have great photos with inexpensive gear. Um, yeah, YouTube is a great place for this. I've seen a lot of beauty photographers and um, like uh, portrait photographers, and they do these photos with like really crappy cameras. And you're like, oh, I'm like that's better than the stuff I do. And I've got a great, I've got a nice camera. Yeah, and I think a lot of that depends on like if you've got good available light and you're mm. in either a studio setting or anything like that, the camera is less stressed anyway. Like, you're not yeah. uh, you're not struggling with noise problems and stuff like that. So if you've got the ability to use it in a in a nice environment, a well lit mm. uh, sort of studio environment, then that works quite well. It's it's literally the difference between maybe somewhat somebody taking a photo on the opposite side of the street to you, because of the way the light is coming across the street. It could be like a street in London where literally just like build down each street. Even New York, an example, and you've got that problem of like light might be better for this person side a and then side b of the street might be completely silhouetted and you the lighting will just cause to cause grain essentially 
but no, I don't think you need like amazing stuff. Like film cameras, right? I feel like I've got a lot of hand-me-down ones and um, they're quite old and they've probably got all their problems that I wouldn't really know about. But like mm. considering they're not very expensive things, um, they work so well. And these little little cameras, oh, I've forgotten the name. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Like the lenses don't come off. Compact cameras. These compact cameras, cameras, yeah. They do amazing. Like, and they don't. They're not that expensive. Sorry, I do photography. I promise. <laughs> so I think. So I think it is interesting. Like, um, I mean, there's a quote um, that we've seen by Ansel Adams that says the single most important component of a camera is the 12 inches behind it. In other words, the photographer. Um, and I think that's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's what he said. It's not my fault. Um, anyway, but you know, so the 12 inches behind the camera are clearly very, very important. Um, you know, I don't it's know by the boy, it's, by the boy. It's, it's very, it's very innuendo yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. But the That's point, bad. the point is really is that we're, we're trying to say, uh, I suppose, that you can take great photos on low-tech kit. Like, it doesn't yeah. have to be the most high-tech gear. And I think it's, um, it's quite interesting that you can spend... I, like I would, I would say, like here's a good example. I switched to mirrorless quite early on. We know this. I then switched to full frame mirrorless. Really? Yeah, I did. Yeah. You don't say. Yeah. However, <laughs> however, here's the thing. I don't think the photos have got significantly better having switched to full frame. I but, know when it's a Sony mirrorless. I know. You can this just is tell. Photographer. Yeah. This is photographer Daisy Durban. Yeah. Ten minutes. And um, she took some photos uh, yesterday. And there's one of the, the girl running in that. And the difference between how that would look on my camera with my lens, which is a crop sensor with my broken lens, and the, the difference, like, you could, I could tell it's a Sony. I don't know if I'm really good at stuff like that because I know it's a BMW even if I can't see its plate. So maybe I'm very good at stuff like that. I think the something to be said, the colour science that's on Sony yeah, is very similar to Nikon. Um, mm, so Nikon and Sony it, yeah. are very, very similar. Canon is generally a bit warmer, but I think I'm sure it's... that I've had conversations with Bartley about that before. Like the, it really comes down to the color, the color, the RGB profiling and the the, the glass as well. Like because obviously each like Canon and Sony, I've been told by I mean a lot of people say the same thing as this, but like Sony and Canon are like two separate sides of the spectrum. Like there are people who say that Sony's color profiles are relatively good but they're quite weak compared to canon glass and there's a big argument around that isn't there i think it's more the fact i suppose with the gear of the sony canon argument is it's more the fact that the the canon gear is so it's it's been so established that people recognize canon color science and sony's Mm -hmm. is relatively new gets me it gets me i mean her photos the, the quality you know the coloring um she clearly, you know, the aperture—it it really comes switch. down to where you're viewing it as well. Because if you're viewing it on the back of the screen, and then you're yeah. also viewing it on a phone or on a tablet, you've got all those different screens calibrated at different color profiles yeah. and uh, you know setting qualities. And I think that's something to consider anyway. Is that like so many people look and consume your stuff on so many uncalibrated different screens anyway that they're all going to get a slightly different experience. Um, so when it becomes it, when, when people talk about calibrating their colors you're doing it for no reason really in a slight 
manner of speak. It only really, I think, makes a big difference if you're printing your work because yeah. at that point you need to make sure that the colours look right when you print the work. Mm. So because there's, otherwise... no, there's no point having the NHS logo in purple, like if it looks blue on yeah. your screen. Or it'll be the wrong shade of blue, you know, and that would be a problem, those mm. sorts of things. So, yeah, I think um, that that can definitely sort of affect things. So I think me moving to full frame hasn't improved necessarily the quality of my photos. For me, it was more about the fact, well, it was more the fact that the camera had like more physical dials and buttons on it that meant that I could... Oh, so you felt there was more flexibility with what you were doing? Well, just it's ergonomically, it just feels better mm. in my hands because I've got quite large hands anyway. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think that is something that, to consider, the way that the camera weighs. These these guys were on video, obviously, over Zoom, um, and these guys will be able to see that I'm holding up a uh, Fuji X-T100. Um, but mm. if I put my hands on it... <laughs> It's not like I can't get uh, my hand no. on no the actual my, my bit, bottom finger just falls off the bottom. As a matter of fact, really, my bottom two fingers fall off the bottom of that camera. And I'm, on the back, mean, yeah. if I can show you, like when I'm holding it, if I do it that way, you can probably see for obviously the listeners won't be able to see, but it's just not it's just too small. Like the back of the camera is just so small and the buttons are just tiny and the stuff proportions like, you know, yeah. for your fingers like, being on both sides. It's, it's, right. it's little things like who puts a dial up? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's a dial and a clicker, but like ergonomically it's not great. I mean, it takes lovely little photos for a little compact camera. Uh, and it's got a uh, 15 to 45 mil lens and stuff, you know, you know, it is, it comes down to the, the person's designed it because it's it's like saying it, you know you're not going to design something if you haven't got expertise in it so i feel like those, those types of cameras like i've had i've seen people complain about um the way that some canon uh, mirrorless cameras have been designed because a lot of the, the mirrorless canon cameras right now are very bulky and big but I, I mean that might just be part and parcel because canon like to build big cameras and i don't know if that's just like i think that's just like an I ego thing so. no, in I general do. i think they do now by contrast you, you see, look at the difference, yeah. Look, look at the difference. difference. That's a full-frame Sony, and my finger is fully on the grip. Like, you've I can got, hold you've, it. You've got the feel, yeah? Because on my camera, I've got the same. You've got the thumb the, the thumb tacks where you can put your finger and grab it with the rubber on it. And even even the size of the grip over that for the uh, the guys that and obviously were doing it. There's a huge the lens grip. is way bigger on that as well. Well, it's, all about, it's all about the length of it, Josh. Do not think, we do not think that you need amazing expensive kit you could honestly impress us use the crappiest camera you have in your house and i think that's I the have thing a nikon d3200 i'll take some photos and i'll probably look exactly the same that's what mm -hmm. i do Honestly, now i'd argue that one of my friends who's been using the the new 11 pros uh ultra wide camera and telephoto telephoto to do all the different types of photos that they're doing and they arguably got one of the uh, i think one of the best sunset views uh from clint hills that I've ever seen, and it's not because they've got the best gear. It's because they they set the tripod up. Yes, they got a tripod, so that was a bit of gear. But they they, they didn't have to do too much. They just found the right position where the light was was crossing over with the camera lens enough, not enough to overexpose it or underexpose, mm. and just use an app. You know, like if you know what you're doing, you can do certain things better. Yeah. And even if you're just messing around with settings, that's the way you learn. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, um, like, probably to summarize this point, really, and sort of mm. wrap it up a little bit, is the fact that you can take great photos on low end, cheaper gear. Mm. High end gear tends to just give you more customization. 
easier access to settings and and things like that but it doesn't which you make can go it, to later yeah mm. it doesn't make it impossible to do on low-end devices and things it no. just means that actually a lot of the time you just have to go into more menus maybe or push more buttons but in reality all the settings on cameras mostly are always there for everyone yeah you know it's, like you... it's basically arguing that your phone your phone camera is probably you know on par with the majority of the cameras that are on the phone market right now because yeah. you take some really great photos with your nokia yeah yeah and it's not and again my nokia yeah my nokia which is a nokia 8.1 or for international listeners because we have got like nokia. mexican and things it's a it's a nokia nokia, nokia. it'll be a nokia x7 um ah. it's the same same device but it's about uh I don't know, 18 months old, something like that, since launch. But it's got two Carl's Ice Optics lenses on. And mm -hmm. I do think that makes a huge difference, you know. But um, it's not a top-end phone. Like, I would argue that in good light, and that's the difference, in good light, under mm -hmm. favorable conditions, it'll take a photo that's just as nice. And, like, the landscape mm -hmm. stuff, because I generally, those are the things that I take on my phone. It's, like, landscape, flowers, that sort of stuff. Those sorts of things do work really, really well. And I have to be honest, like I've got this uh, this Fuji, which was meant to be so I could take it around and like take it everywhere with me. But the thing is, like, I still take that over. I still take my, my phone over this smaller Fuji camera just because yeah. it's just the, taking a, a camera everywhere is just a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so basically what we're saying is to summarize the point, it, 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 it's, it's not it's not the case of you need the gear it's the case of if you've got the know-how yeah. and I, th I think anybody who even people who's who've just done you know astro even as people who've done astrology will know that you, as long as you've got the right the right positioning you can see the stars correctly mm. it's the same thing with the light if you're if you're point blank in harsh exposure there's no chance in hell you're going to get a decent photo and even if you try to dial the settings down and try and edit it later you're going to lose so much detail and not be able to recover it at all yeah definitely yeah. um so we'll go on to our final point uh before we have a little break uh so josh do you want mm -hmm. to go on to uh point three uh we have to remind me of the point because i'm in a problem trying to see everything this ah. website. It's very bad so, to organize. uh <laughs> shooting as many photos as you can so the spray and pray ah, method yes spray and pray that's what i think that's what i've called it before right spray and pray yeah yeah i, I honestly i think that this one is a very good one for me to talk about because it actually encompasses something that i had a problem with my own complex when i was uh you know, a rookie photographer, you know, what's five, six years ago. And arguably there is, there is an art to taking a decent amount of photos to, to try and test things out, understand what you're doing is right. And it, it's the case in fact is that you can take one great photo and then take one terrible photo straight after it. So the fact that you could take that one great photo and then take 50 shit photos straight after it, there is there is nothing to there's nothing to compare to the fact that you need that many right mm. I, the only reason i can think of that you'd need you know a few of the same photo is maybe the, at different exposure levels and the only reason that is important is because when you're coming to do raw editing you can do double exposure takes inside of your editing software um and i mean that's a bit probably a bit more on the advanced side but you know it's there's no point holding your phone button down to burst or holding your camera down to burst even if you've got a you know a a, a, a DSL, uh, not DSLR, sorry, a mirrorless like John has, like he could s still take a, a, a an amount of photos that would be just throwaways immediately. <clears throat> it's the yeah. case and matter that you've got the the right stability for the photo because you might need you might need the settings to equate to the steadiness of your photo taken. Yeah, you know, it's that I mean, kind of thing. The spray and pray method is is certainly something that I used to do, and I know I do know yeah. I know some uh, professionals that still take 
loads of photos. They don't spray and pray, but they take mm. hundreds, if not thousands, of photos on a shoot. And that's yeah. because they take lots of the same because, the, like Josh said, the lighting might be a little bit different or maybe, especially mm. if they're doing like portraits and stuff, their hair might have fallen. Movement's a big uh, Movement, yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Mm. So that that's definitely something that we could say, you know, uh, from this sort of myth of don't spray and pray, what we're really getting at here is the people that go in and, like we say, you know, on especially on things like mirrorless or on um, uh, a, a smartphone, you know, if I hold the button down on this camera, it's going to do 20 shots a second. Like, and that is mental because yeah. then you've got to go through them all and work out whether they're any good. And actually, the thing is, is because the settings stay the same throughout all 20 per second, exactly. if one's shit, the likelihood is they're all shit. So yeah. at that point, you may as well just go, well, actually, um, take less photos, take your time taking your photos. Now, there are situations where you can't take your time and you get one chance at taking that mm. photo. Um, you know, And it could be you know sport or whatever it might be where you're not going to be able to get another shot if you like speed is of the essence <laughs> uh, to take that photo yeah uh but then the other side is like let's say you were doing um i know some portraits where you were doing in a swimming pool with a model or whatever and you were doing a hair flick with water you can recreate mm. that over and over and over again so you don't need to take 150 photos from the point where they take you know that first flick their hair to the end mm. over and over and over again you can take a burst of photos maybe of five or six photos review them see how they look are mm. they too bright are they too dark is the shutter speed fast enough mm. and all those things phone cameras have, have got to a point now where those kind of photos you don't even need to go to a computer for now yep. there's an app, there, are, there are apps where they just get you to put you know obviously the start and end of it and then you can make a stop motion animation of it yeah yeah so, I think this is debatable. I think it's a debatable myth, though. It definitely. There is there is a, a fair and an unfair side to it. Like I think the spray and pray method is you know tried and tested, and it, in and it's where a lot of people fall in. I think it's almost like a like a sort of pitfall. Like you always fall into it as you start because you think, oh shit, someone else has taken more than me. Maybe I should, I should take so many. I like get thing... really trigger happy as well. Like if I get excited on a mm. photo shoot, like I did a photo shoot for a clothing brand I was really interested in and I ended up leaving there with like, I think I was there for a few hours and I left with like 1,500 photos and I edited oh, wow. pretty much all of them because you, when you're passionate about something as well, you get so, I get so excited that I'm like, I don't want to miss something. Mm. So if I take it all, you know. Now the flip mm. side is like when I went out a couple of nights ago and I was out for three and a bit hours, um, I took a grand total of 17 photos. <laughs> but all of them, done. But all of them, I think there was only three that I threw away. Um, yeah. So 14 were keepers. You know, so and we're in good. a time where you need to appreciate things a bit more. So maybe your mentality is more like, yeah. let me... Just take this in. Yeah. Let me take a photo when I know. Yeah. Lands landscapes and that, are arguably less is more. Yeah, and landscapes are a good point. example of where people will sometimes go. So when I've been uh, in Cornwall and places like that, sometimes I will go and I can spend two hours sitting waiting for the light to be right and take one photo. That is entirely yeah. possible. Yeah, it is entirely possible. Or I'm waiting for the beach to be empty or emptier so I can edit the people out or whatever it might be. Um, mm. And it, you know, sometimes you that patience say is there. Is, sorry, you were saying. No, go on. Uh, I say argu arguably, um, I think the idea of spraying and praying comes probably from uh, also from videography as well, or is, is it in relation to videography where people feel like they have to get every frame of something that's going on. 
Yeah. So like if they don't if they don't start it before Sunset even gets started, they feel like they're going to miss it. Well, and perhaps there's a, perhaps there's also an element of the fact that because it doesn't cost you anything to take loads yes. of photos. You just think, oh, sod it. I'll take loads sod of photos because ultimately it doesn't matter. I can just, it's it's fine. Like I can just go it's through and I can... It's where you come to the end. Yeah, it's, it's the, the editing. And the editing is a pain in the arse, I think. And that's where, people, it's where people's motivation just dips. Yeah. I mean, if I if I go to a shoot, uh, let's say I do a studio shoot or something, and I, I come back and maybe I've got like, I don't know, 300 photos. My, my sort of energy <laughs> dies off pretty quickly when i've edited say maybe the first 30 and i'm like, oh, like you like to start it you like everyone yeah. I, th- I think i think the thing with editing is you get fatigued from it really quickly like yeah. you can be excited for the first few edits like i did a shoot the other day um and it some of it was raw shots because the, the model also does a bit of photography and it's it's a family thing so she's got owned the camera for years so she knows how to take a raw photo but, like i was editing like maybe one or two of them and i haven't got around to editing the rest of them yet because I, d- I decided all day yesterday, apart from working, I was just not interested in editing, even though I had, like, I think maybe 20 photos, including some of the iPhone ones that she took. I'm the complete opposite. Like, I, I could sit here and edit over taking the photos. Like, I would happily not take the photos, and you just give me the photos. I think but it really comes down kind of, to that yin and yang effect. It kind of, it kind of, because I, I like retouching. I really enjoy that side of things, and I don't It's really probably why like, you like beauty photography a lot, I imagine. Yeah, this is, I think, as as we've had time to kind of think about my photography, think about what I do in that. I don't know if I'm as much a photographer as I am. I love the intricacy of editing and colours and lighting, and I really enjoy sitting there on my own and putting music, kind of just doing that part. Um, oh yeah, I, lo- I love sitting down. And I think it really comes down. Editing comes down to the environment you're in as well. Like sometimes for me, I I, I will flat out not edit anything if I've got too much going on around me because mm. I can't concentrate on those finer details. And but I'm a very minimal person with the OCD in that I'm very like I like things. You know, as long as everything's in its place, as long as everything's quite minimal, yeah. I'm chill. And Just that's music, why I don't like my door shut. My, I'm comfortable. I'm not arching my back trying to sit and work. You know, it's it's those little ergonomic things that make the edit process more um, more pleasurable. If you ta- if you take less photos though, <laughs> you have less. Like if you concentrate on the the photos in camera, so mm. you, if you get more right in camera at the time, so you, your lighting's bang on, you're exposing correctly, that sort of stuff. Mm. Then your editing time is less time consuming mm. like i know you obviously like your editing but it'd be better to spend the same time I editing as time yeah no but it's just it's my yeah. room isn't it mm. so i just yeah. get one photo and then the one photo yeah, yeah. and move on yeah yeah because at, at the end of the day here the more photos you take the more you've got to possibly throw away and it's that that moment like where you've got to think about whether you need to rate them whether you want to give them a you know one to five star rating in lightroom for example yeah and for me I just find that to be so boring. I don't want to rate my photos. I just want to find the shot that I like best without having to do too much work because I'm not, I I, I mean, I am better organized nowadays. I have a calendar as opposed to maybe two years ago when I just would not have a need for one. But these days I, I feel more likely that I would not like to sit organizing for hours because I'm too excited to go in and do the work. And I think then the fact that I've, I've had those photos to look over has made me alienated to look at them and just not want to mess around with them for a bit. So that's where that that editing, um, inspiration, and creativity started and then died, and then I've left it for a day. All right. Shall we take a quick break, and uh, mm-hmm. and then we'll come back with part two, 
where we discuss things like uh, portfolios and which modes you should use on your cameras and bad lighting and things like that. So we'll be back in just a few minutes for part two. This episode is sponsored by Paradise Co. For t-shirts and beanie hats, visit paradiseco.uk and use the promo code GTS2020 to get 10% off. Welcome back to part two of this episode, looking at photography myths. Next up, we're talking about manual mode being the best mode. So this is a myth that I personally disagree with because uh, I've shot uh, quite a bit in lots of different modes on my camera. And there are people that I've spoke to that said they would only ever shoot in manual mode um, when they're out and about and stuff like that. And if that works for them, it works for them. But I would personally say that's quite off-putting, particularly for new shooters. Um, and my, my thoughts really are the fact that if I'm out somewhere, say, taking landscape shots, the light is changing super fast, right? And, like, it's going in and out of the clouds with the sun and all that sort of stuff, and everything's changing. I think that it's too difficult for me to spot that the light's changing uh, or quickly enough. So then some of those photos that I take will not give me the results that perhaps I was looking for. So at that point, I have no issue with dropping into, say, shutter priority mode and saying, I want this shutter speed. Adjust the aperture and adjust the ISO to whatever you need to do to keep the exposure on this shutter speed. Or vice versa, it could be that I go into aperture priority mode. And in that case, obviously, it's going to adjust the shutter speed and it's going to adjust the ISO within tolerances that I've set. So maybe I say from 100 ISO to 6400 or something. And that will then mean that it keeps the exposure exactly how I want it. So let's say shallow depth for field, 2.8 or something like that, or maybe F8. And then everything else adjusts around that. And that's how I shoot personally a lot of the time. My, my camera pretty much uh, in the studio pretty much stays in aperture priority mode uh, most of the time. Um, if I'm moving around between sections of a studio, if I'm doing one setup in like sort of like your photography studio, Billy, like that would then be in manual mode because I can completely control the light. It's the same in every shot that I'm taking. But if I move in between areas, obviously that would change. Um, and for... I do think it is a big myth, to be fair, that a lot of people, when I first started out and I was using auto, which was just the easiest way for me to learn. Yep. And um, a lot of people were quite like, you don't, you're not a yeah. photographer unless you know how to do manual. But that isn't the case, you know. Um, it's almost like some people are like, oh, I came out of the womb knowing, knowing how to use manual mode. I'm like, get lost. I don't like those sorts of people. If you, so obviously, like when you shot in auto mode, which we've all done, like, and actually we've sometimes, done, and like, sometimes, yeah, and sometimes <laughs> if I can't get the bloody shot to look exactly how I want it to look, <laughs> yeah. I'll flick it into auto, see what the camera thinks it should be and go, Oh, yeah, okay, so fair enough. You know, and that will that, that will sometimes, sometimes that that setup mode in your head. Yeah, just it might. It, 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 well, it might just be that it just I just realised. Oh, my ISO was way too low. Like I was just mm. not. I wasn't bumping it high enough. There's much less yeah. light than I expected. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it's entirely possible. And like, interestingly, when you were on auto modes, Billy, I'm assuming mm -hmm. that you then probably looked at what settings the camera picked. All the time. That's how I learned. Like, I mean, what? I was like 16 mm. when I first got my first camera. And I didn't understand. Like, I mean, okay, yeah, dyslexia is part of the problem. But mm. I didn't understand why. Like, and I think it's the biggest thing. Why smaller is bigger number? And I was always yeah. like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, that's not... Um, 
but then it I is think confusing. a lot of people are like that just don't panic if you're still on auto and you are like oh my god everyone uses manual we all get frustrated and we all get fed up of it and um as as john said you know there are different ways you know you've got shutter priority uh, aperture priority you know all those types of things so mm. um and then if all else fails literally look at your auto see how you the, the good photo went look at the settings and then just replicate those settings and check tweak it to mm. how you think that mm. then it should change with the lighting and i think the only thing that you just got to be aware of like is uh, is different camera brands with people so if somebody's next to you with a sony and you're using a canon don't immediately think that what they're getting is what you should be getting in terms of your settings because uh, I, and I've seen once someone do this before and then they get really angry at that person. I'm just like, well, well, it's not their fault because you're using a different camera model so and a different camera make altogether. So a Canon is, is, is stereotypically going to have a different ISO range and a different aperture range because it's the different glass at the same time. You, you, you're not going to get exactly the same photo as them. So you've yeah. got to work out what you're doing. Yeah, so different gear is definitely going to have a different impact uh, on your your settings and stuff like that. So I think it's learning your gear and moving forward yes. from that to make sure that, um, you know, you just experiment and try things as you go. Okay, let's move yeah. on to uh, point number two then uh, for this part. Uh, Billy, do you want this one? Oh. She's left a mic on mute. She's left a mic on mute, so we can't hear her. But it's, no, it's I true. did not leave my mic on mute. <laughs> we'll edit it out. You'll never know. You'll never know. We have. I have a new mic. If you have noticed. Um, oh yes. Comment, comment below. Um, but yes. Yeah, so um, I'm talking about avoid shooting um, in bad lighting. So obviously this. Uh, yeah um lighting is kind of a hard one uh i've spent a lot of time in the studio um now but i spent a lot of time on location and i don't think you know i spent a lot of the photographers i kind of listen to um podcast wise youtube wise they shoot in direct sun which people get really scared of and i totally relate to that i enjoy shooting with the sun blaring right up in your business um <laughs> and then studio wise I've obviously everything's just done for you as soon as you've set it up you move onwards so there is no bad light in the studio but you know um taking pictures in direct sun can be scary but it's really great photo i think the, th the thing is is a lot of people will focus on the the cloudy conditions to take yes. landscapes and portraits overcast, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, overcast conditions. But you can, like you say, if you're out in very harsh direct sunlight, um, that can still work because you can use that harsh light. And I've seen some fantastic, uh, like Birmingham street stuff uh, by people like yes. Chris Askey, by Fraser, all those sorts of people who use the light and the harsh shadows uh, that the mm. strong light creates to make photos more striking and visually mm -hmm. uh you know like the balance of you light have more and dark depth in the shadows yeah. and everything i mean i like to shoot it contributes um, to the black and white photos very heavily as well yeah it's high yeah. contrast isn't it high contrast with models in particular having the sun directly in their face you know i usually have a reflector to kind of help out um but as you said with the black and white you know getting that shadow in behind having the highlights on the face on the face and everything um mm. just you know work with the lighting that you've got i've worked in full-blown rain i've worked in sun i've worked in studio just do it just take photos it doesn't matter what the lighting looks like and most of the time you can just edit it so don't panic i think it rains an interesting one i want to definitely i mean it's the wrong time of year now probably well it might not be yeah depends i have on, quite on. a few times yeah but lenses rain... aren't waterproof by the way 
Yeah, well, it depends no. on the lens, but I would say... Mine was not. <laughs> from experience, is that... Yeah, I went to Waterfall. I went to Pistol Regis or whatever in Wales. You'll, you'll have a look. It's really beautiful. And, um, like, my camera just was not phasing well with this. There was a Waterfall, which I was trying to do long exposures on. And I don't own a tripod because... YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's interesting because um, I I think uh, with the the sort of the lighting style of things, and when we talk about uh, setting up lighting for different things, and the rain is an element that I perhaps want to experiment a bit with next year, because yeah. this year I should say, well, hopefully this year we'll see. Next year, hope um, next year. <laughs> you know, but when it comes around to it, because um, rain can work with light as well, because you get obviously your reflections and you get the shimmer of the light, and that's. I'll have to so. show you. Yeah, I worked for a brand called Noggin, and we they are a, a rugby kind of like sport mental health awareness. Um, they do like beanies and stuff, and we did a photo shoot. And it was absolutely peeing it down, and I was so nervous. And you know, because like um, because I was moving around quite a lot, my, you know, it, it, the, you could actually see in the raindrops. Sorry, I had such a brain fart. Oh, you could in see the, the raindrops in, in the, the photo. photograph. That's cool. It was. I mean, it is, it's cool. See, a lot of people a lot of people would add that in post. Like, they'd add, like, a fake yeah. rain. No um, serious rain. Like but that's rain. good. That I'll is good. It's so, like cool. snow. I took some photos about three years ago of uh, oh, yeah. my little one in snow. And she's mm. coming bombing down this, like, sledging thing. And the snow is in front of the lens. So you can see it's all, like, um, defocused. But it looks yeah. proper, like, whirlwindy snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, and it looks cool, so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so lighting... And actually, talking of lighting, snow is one of the hardest things I've ever photographed because it's so bloody <laughs> yeah. bright. Because um, the light just bounces yeah, everywhere. Really like, hard. I think one of the only times I've enjoyed shooting with rain is the is 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 once the rain has passed and it leaves like a sort of dew across things. Mm. So you've got so you've got like a metal railing which is really reflective, and because it's really reflective, you can see all the ra all the little raindrops on there. And I was able to my camera was able to focus on those droplets, so I was able to get a photo. Of, this was like four five years ago. I was able to get a photo of somebody um, who I was in a group with who literally was having a rainbow umbrella open and just a little bit out of focus to the right and the railing went round and basically like you followed the route round to her in the photo yeah yeah so that, so, was, that was very um sophisticated at that moment and you see you see a lot of uh, a lot of landscape shooters sometimes and street shooters uh within uh within sort of like birmingham and stuff like that they'll take a photo of say maybe like the rotunda like the big um ball ring skyscraper thing yeah um they'll take a photo of that in a puddle uh, reflection so you can use light yeah, and you can use the reflections to really help you uh, as you go through um, we'll move on to the next point which uh, I'm going to lead on because it drives me absolutely bloody mad um, but well. this is this is something that largely is sometimes contested within the community and I know I hate it um, but mm. actually some people think it's creative to not do what I think you should do so um, I have a real passion uh like a a severe hatred for people that don't have straight horizons in their photos Ooh, like like i i, I, I really do now the myth is that you don't need to keep them straight like the myth would be that a straight horizon is not always necessary but the thing is i completely disagree like to me wonky horizons just just like they're really great on me like if i look at a photo the first thing that i notice is a wonky horizon 
So, essentially to wonky, essentially to wonky town. Yeah, and like, <laughs> I get that, you know, like, you know, if I'm taking a photo and I've got a nice straight horizon or I'm taking a portrait or I'm taking a picture of an animal or whatever, sometimes mm. there is a temptation that you might go, oh, if I did that, it's going to look really like cool yeah. and like edgy, it, yeah. edgy you know, Wacky, that sort of edgy. stuff. And I get that. And it does work for some some situations but for most of the time like a a little stream like someone might hold their camera down sideways just to get the stream coming through it's a different angle yeah but i'd still want the end of the stream where you see the horizon Mm. to be straight like i get i get that sometimes if you're in like an urban environment and maybe you've got some steps and you want the angle of the photo to go with the steps and not necessarily the model being straight or whatever that's That's a better excuse that's fine but for me one thing I can't stand, and like, because I, I obviously I feature quite a few photos from around the Black Country on our I guess Black Country feed, and if I see a wonky horizon, it ain't. It, it's either going to have to be straightened by me when I repost it, yeah. or but the thing is, it's not really Can in the. Imagine? That's not really in the ethos of what we do. Like, so we just repost how people have posted. So I don't really want to have to straighten a photo, and I, it just, good, it's like irritates you. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and to me, um, if the if the horizon's not straight, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people might be now screaming at their Echo Dots or their their uh, the Google Homes or whatever, going, "No, it's fine. You can you can have off centered horizons and stuff like that." It's yeah. If you like it, you like it. But for <laughs> me, nah, we can't I'm be very cup of tea. Yeah, we can't be friends well, the, if you take monkey horizons. The thing is for, me, for me is if you if you purposely taken the photo with a terrible horizon, you are a terrible person. Just immediately, I think. I, I think I think it really comes down to the fact that like it shouldn't be something that's difficult. And I think maybe some of that is because people don't bother using a tripod for the stuff that might require you to have that aligned. But most most cameras now have a built-in horizon level. So like... <laughs> a spirit thing. Got, or even the grids, even yeah, the grids as the well. Grid, the grid will help you, yeah. So if you've got a, a rule of thirds grid on your camera, you can mm. normally see that you're lining up the horizon roughly i mean there's exceptions like if the hill's really wonky or something you know like it's becomes more difficult but but actually if if it's if it's premeditated that you're doing that then there's a problem yeah definitely so i I just think it makes a big difference uh and it, it it kind of it certainly helps me appreciate a photo more if it's kind of if it's centered and level uh, and that kind of makes yeah. makes it a little bit more i know that one's sense. gonna be a very uh very contested one for people that's for sure definitely i think it's time for a break do you think it's time for a quick break because we've done three yeah. points so should we uh take a quick break and we'll come back with our final section uh in just a few moments fancy your one minute moment on the get the shot podcast it's easy to send us a voice message just visit anchor.fm forward slash get the shot and click on the bit that says send a voice message it's as easy as that welcome back to the final part of episode 23 uh, which is looking at photography myths and things that you should definitely not listen to hopefully maybe mm. uh, so we'll come to our final three really um so my first one is there's a myth that people think that you shouldn't put the subject of a photo in the middle of a frame and i suppose mm. this stems from the fact that a lot of rules or guidance, I suppose, and we've talked about this before, haven't we, where we've talked about things like the rule of thirds and understanding how you interject things in a frame to like kind of make sure that, I don't know, the, the focal point is in the lower third or the upper third or yeah, that sort of thing. And if you're doing landscape photos, sometimes you might be talking about things like having a third of the frame in with sky, two thirds of the frame with foreground interest or landscape or whatever, or the other way around. 
a big bit of sky, small bit of interest, whatever. It depends what you're trying to extenuate uh, in the or accent accentuate. Sorry, on the uh, on the photos. Um, now, the thing is, like all of these sorts of things, they're guides, not rules. Um, so, yeah. not putting your subject in the middle. A lot of people say oh, you can't do that because it doesn't fit in with the rule of thirds or the golden ratio or the Fibonacci mm. um, rules. I think that's that's fine. Like some people will obviously have that opinion, uh, but actually, it's more of a check checklist in the yeah. way, isn't it? And it's it was guidance, isn't it? It's the what normally what works. Yeah, yeah, normally photos look good if you do this. Um, more like optional rules, really. To just, I think you you kind of put you put it in that sort of frame of mind. It's like, does it really like? make the photo better being a rule of thirds photo or does it not because if it yeah. ruins it then what's the point of pleasing other people well, and the other thing is take both <laughs> like yeah you can take one. Well, i mean we don't want to spray and pray because we've already talked about <laughs> no. it but, <laughs> no spraying but, and praying. but what you can do is you can take a photo using the rule of thirds and then re mm -hmm. re uh, compose and take it with it in the middle or whatever and see which one yeah. you like best and i think um there it's are certain things that uh suit themselves well to where the photo has the subject in the middle so if i do um architecture photos um i don't want the if it's a symmetrical building i don't want it off center i want it no. perfectly in the center so it looks symmetrical and that means lining it up horizontally and vertically so i don't get it slightly off center so i'm not shooting across the building that's actually really hard to do between the clouds as well yeah Maybe it's it's, it's like hard it is hard like if i'm shooting um like there's, there's a really famous uh building in hungary if anybody's ever been uh it's the mm. parliament building in hungary and oh it's i think absolutely yeah, I beautiful like it's this big long building in front oh, of the river it's ginormous it's absolutely it? massive but it's symmetrical now mm. you have to stand in a very specific spot on the opposite side of the river, uh, lining up with one of the doorways on the top on the roof to mean that you get it perfectly lined up and straight. Because if you don't, it'll look wonky. Like all of the um, the architecture, the lines will be off. It'll sort of it'll lean uh, or it'll yeah. you know it won't look right. Um, and the same as you need to be at a reasonable height, otherwise it looks like you're looking mm. up it or down it. It's the same sort of thing. So. There's a problem that... with that in London as well. There's um, for those who know of um, the Fenchurch Fenchurch Street. Uh, that it's not. It's also known as the Walkie Talkie, but it's got yeah. it's got a sky. This place called the Sky Garden, and it's all the offices below. Because of the shape of the building, yeah. it's people know it as like one of the most wonky buildings in London. I mean, London's got a lot of wonky. It's got like a concave so... shape to it, hasn't it? it goes yeah. Out so the out. problem with that is you've got the roads that you come. You go onto late. You go onto that area where Fenchurch Street is, and you've got this large road that kind of curves around from behind. So that means that the the buildings that below it aren't like they're not all in the same height range. So they curve with the road. So then you've got a curve going across, almost like at a sort of just past ninety degree sort of angle. But then the building arcs one way, and the buildings below arc another way. So it's difficult to really proportion which way you should do it. Mm. So a lot of people argue that that is not a, a good example of rule of third because whichever way you do it, there is going to be a disagreement from someone. Yeah. It's hard to make it look how it looks to your eye, it's I suppose. Sound, sound, yeah. Make it look uh, yeah. sound. Um, so, yes, definitely. And, Billy, you were talking about when you do portraits, like you think most of the time you slap the model in the middle of the frame, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well I just, I just said like, and I looked at my portfolio. I don't think I take any photos without. But I think, in the but I think on social media, particularly like Instagram, I think you're more likely to put them in the middle because you're, yeah. you're dealing with such limited real estate. 
in terms yeah. of the the, the I can't ability. imagine I would put them anywhere else. I can't figure out unless it was for my style of photography. I I don't think it would work. But if you were like doing documentary or something, yeah. See, like so I've to, I'm just showing for the benefit of the listeners. I'm showing a photo mm. of a uh, Lauren Kate, a model that I shot back at Sutton Park in 2017, maybe, and yeah. um, she is stood with her back against a wall but on the far right hand side of the frame so she's offset quite considerably so she's away from center and mm. there's a lot of negative space on the left hand side of that image isn't there it's all just black there's no you know it's almost uh, like yeah. she's been shot i argue that the fact that you've got that that perceived darkness on the on the one side and that void of space it actually makes the makes you your eyes dart towards it more which i which for someone who looks at a photo normally you'd expect them to be in the middle but if because they're off 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 axis to where you would expect them to be it makes you look at it more let's but be honest you, see... you go you scroll down your feed if you see yep. people sitting in the middle and then people on the left or a little bit to the right yep. it makes you more likely to look at the photo so it actually uh, makes the point of it being central not always valid i kind of get where you're coming from i found one <laughs> <laughs> one on my page she's broken to be roll at one point i found one and she's in the mirror have you seen that one that i did um, where she's in the mirror and then you can see the studio behind her and she's yeah. on the, yeah that that is that is it mate that so i do so, so looking through my feed especially with portraits and stuff like that you can see that uh, a lot of my portraits um I do use centered images, but then I equally, if they're, particularly if they're on location, it seems to be, I tend to use a lot of um, off-center um, imagery. Um, it, it just depends. I think, to be honest, it just depends what works um, with with those yeah. individual images. Um, and again, you know, some of, some of the photos that I've taken that I've, that, I mean, like Josh, I know like you particularly liked that one that I took of um, Chloe dressed as, uh, what's her name? Yes. Oh, as a as a um, Harley Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yeah, um, and that photo is is centered. Now the original wasn't. Well, it probably was roughly centered, but the crop has definitely meant that it's bang in the center um, in a one by one ratio. This is this is a decent example of, of something Billy Billy does have. Um, she was for a central subject, as I'm as I'm just showing the guys on the on the Zoom recording. Um, is that like she the, the subject is centered, but her that her axis is off, yeah. but it's still centered because the the subject is sitting in a in a straight uh, straightforward sort of position. Yeah. I guess a pose, right? Yeah, and that's good. So spend a lot of time sitting on the floor as well. Yeah, so, so you're, sh you're shooting you're shooting up a little bit, and you're also shooting mm -hmm. with the context of what's around them, which is quite cool. Exactly. So you can see the fact that they're on a, in a studio. It's not that they don't just live in a pink world. Um, no, you know, and that's quite that's quite good, really. It's I think out of a box, it's quite creative. Out of a box look. That's yeah, funny. definitely. There you go. Anyway, right. I think we should probably move on to your one, Billy. Yes. Yeah. So my one <laughs> is, um, you must shoot with a tripod. I feel like I said this at the start of this episode. Briefly, you talked about yes. the fact you don't own one. Which is weird. Yeah. And I was like, I don't own one. So tell a lie. I do own a thing that is tripod shaped. Um, I have like a hand grip <laughs> on my camera. So you have to use a... Uh, little key to get it off and i've lost the key Ooh. so never mind <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i don't need a tripod but then as i just as i've just said i spend a lot of time sitting on the floor and then if i'm doing location stuff i'm not taking a tripod um because you got to the arm maybe and no i don't know i i just 
I'm not really a tripod human. Oh. <laughs> yes, Dan. I'm just, I'm just demonstrating my bendy Joby. I so. have seen those. I, I have seen those. And um, he's talking about the bendy tripod for anyone that doesn't The understand. Casey Neistat adopted one. Yeah, it people does, that don't understand what they, these people say. They do fall over quite a lot, though. Yeah, well, I have looked at them and I have been, I've considered it. Um, but I'm quite comfortable sitting on the floor. And do you know, um, it's like the satellite thing I was talking about earlier. I took pictures of the satellites and um, I had a sponge, my mum's cigarette packet, a lighter, a chair on top of a chair. And I just used all those weird items, right, to put under my lens. So my lens was angled upwards. Up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just posted it and then run away. Like, that yeah. was like... Posted you... it and run away. <laughs> it's on a timer. You do not need a Billy, are you, in your, are, you, are, you, are you in your 20s or are you in your, you know, 11, 12 years old phase? She was, right she was MacGyver in it. I didn't... <laughs> like, I'm quite creative for stuff like that or i'll use a wall i'll use yeah. a wall or i'll use my leg I'll honestly like i'll tell you there's a couple of things uh tripod wise because a lot of people say you know a lot of people say oh you should invest in a tripod now if i'm honest a good quality tripod is not cheap like a no. really good quality tripod that's stable and solid in wind and stuff like that like when Strong i go to the stable. coast yeah so when i go to the coast and i'm shooting in the sand on a sand dune in like almost hurricane force winds it's ridiculous like if i've shot storms down in cornwall and obviously it's you very windy the tripod at that point. and yeah and the tripod well now you need the tripod if you do especially if you're in long okay. exposures because you won't keep the camera still enough but no. to buy a decent enough tripod that can cope with that wind and normally i have no. to i normally hang my bag off the bottom of the tripod as well so it pulls yeah, it onto the ground it. so mm. it's weighted down to be honest, my first few tripods that I bought were absolutely crap. Like they were like the Jessup's own brand, the Amazon Basics stuff, and like the one Amazon Basics one I had that was like it was a, a trigger uh, ball head, so you could like grab it and then move it. Oh around. yeah, yeah. And that was really Some good, heads, yeah. but it was so bloody heavy that it meant that I never took it anywhere because I couldn't be asked to carry it. My new tripod, which I can't show you because it's currently in my studio, um, is um, that is a Manfrotto. Uh, be free yes. and what i like about it is the legs fold all the way up so instead of being down like they the go all the way up it's and very, then it's very efficient it, it like literally space. houses itself in something that's about i don't know maybe 18 inches long um but it'll go to so nearly two meters high your arm lessen your arm yeah. width a little bit yeah, yeah. and it means what i often do with that then is because it's quite light and it's generally very solid because it uses clamps rather than swivelly things to do the legs and it's got a ball head so i can mount it and swivel it around turn it portrait landscape whatever um and it's got still got the center column that can raise up and down the tripod is useful um in the sense that i can carry it with me but I, i'll be honest if i didn't have it there's only a handful of photos i wouldn't be able to get and that is that's you know, why, that's, yeah that's why i'm not if, really, if it, it was... kind of comes down to the fact that like if you're going to if you know that you go enough places that require you to be very still i mean and i think and i think it also kind of stems from the fact in the studio, people do say that you should have a tripod for that. I don't think it's a bad point to not have a tripod, but arguably, I'd say is you're restricting your type of shot you're getting because if you're if you're not going for just a straight fixed shot and you want to change poses, you're like, okay, well, this pose is now out of the perceived light and exposure that I want. So now I've got to take the tripod off, move the tripod, 
put it back on again if it's in an awkward position. And arguably, you could probably do it handheld if you've got a steady enough. You've handheld. got enough to so mess this- with, do you know what I mean? And you've got to add a tripod onto it. And for most yeah. shots that people are taking, their shutter speed is fast enough that they don't need yeah. absolute stability. And I think the thing is, mm-hmm. is that, like, Billy, you've talked about where, like, you'll lean against a wall or uh, I often will use, like, uh, in Cornwall, I'll often um, put it on a rock or something, you know, like a big mm-hmm. rock at the seaside. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, the horizon won't be straight, but that's okay because I can correct that in post afterwards because otherwise I'll have to disown myself. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of... It, it's useful because... Um, obviously it means leveling shots and stuff like that is really easy however you do have to carry it around with you which if you're on a big walk or you're backpacking or something like that you're not going to be doing that it's i think cameras are enough yeah yeah you need to weigh up if you really need it or not yeah. i mean there are t- there are times there are times that you the, the, the tripod would come in handy and i think that's where it, like like a mini pod would be coming uh, very handy yeah. because with a mini pod you do get that that more relaxed axis space that you're working with. Cause like if you're working with a rock, which is wonky, you could then apply the free, the free size of the legs to sit at an axis where it'll clamp it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So and it's I'm, a lot, it's a lot of problems. And you don't also just have to think about tripods. There are lots of mm. alternatives. So bean bags are really effective. Uh, if you yes. just want it, if you just want to place it on something, cause you can, um, you can like level Shape the it. terrain off with a, with a bean bag and make it level. Uh, and then use your in-camera in level thing to make sure that it's not wonky. Um, and then the other thing is, is that um, I often, when I did a lot of mo- motorsport photography about pff, 10 years ago, maybe, and I used to go to circuits and shoot cars and things that were flying past very fast. Um, I never used a tripod, or if I did have a tripod, I'd fold all the legs together to make one central column and use a monopod instead. And the monopod yeah. just means I can swivel and pan really quick. So as the car came past, I'd go, Meow, and I'd catch the car, and I'd pan. So the car was sharp, but everything else was nice and blurred around it. Yeah, um, in, in, in a way, a, um, a monopod were like, and it was was almost like the sort of precursor to like these steady cams. You know, those, these ones that that use, I guess, gyro motors and electronics to basically glide with the change of the you know the pivot and motion. Yeah, well, you, you had your, your your monopods, then you had your sort of your glide cams, and then now you've got mm. gimbals, haven't you? So it's the kind of um it's it's just developed and gone through and i, I mean i've got a, a gimbal that will take my a7 III, um mm-hmm. and i've got a handheld gimbal that's designed to take my phone so like a lot of people might have like dji osmos or osmo mobiles which take osmo your clip, normal phone yeah. um and they, they work really well like they do like they make a big difference if you're doing video um and they do genuinely make a big difference like i can run with my um my um stabilizer and with combining that with the the image stabilization that's uh that's that's actually there um i can i can have that sort of that ability to to go through and 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 run with something and it's still nice and stable mm. you know the footage is still good so yeah so it's nice in that it's nice to think i think that with the that technology into even manfrotto have done ones where you can decollapse a lot of the tripod and it becomes a monopod which yeah. i think is great because if you did take it with you to somewhere in a car and then something changes it with the type of photo you want to go for you can immediately just unclip it or like you know unscrew it so that it just becomes what one part of it so like it's a sort of more kind of something amount inside of one and it has multiple purpose so what we're ending up saying is as a, a sort of a role uh overall thing is that tripods are very sort of an optional thing it really depends on what you're going for definitely yeah uh, so final point then, Josh. Yeah. Um, so this one, 
I, I hands on hand on you know hand on heart took this immediately because I think this is something that a lot of people just I don't, I don't get why people are like this. So post processing. So in a nutshell, we're basically talking about the idea of using any manipulation photo manipulation software after the fact and not getting it natively in the camera. And the reason why I have such a problem with this myth is because. The, it's the it's the audacity of people who are not photographers themselves thinking that the gear should be good enough to do it there and then it's it's yeah. like it's like the same people who use point and shoot cameras that have those weird creativity lenses on where they take five different photos in different color settings and everything but it's you know? personal preference it's like mm -hmm. and, and i think editing is it's our style like a it lot is. of the photographers i see i know who they are without actually looking you know i see the photos and I'll be like, oh that's them you know it's part it's part of the reason it's part of the reason why everyone uh finds their own unique uh path to editing like for, for me I, I i've got myself very fond into editing my ipad pro because of the the really good uh you know accuracy with my touch and i used to use an apple pencil now i can get a bit more intrinsic with the details something that i would never be able to do natively on the camera it's like trying to tell somebody who being front on a photo well how can you do that and then not go afterwards and then remove them from the frame you know what i mean it's like you got people in the background like maybe like a park or something you ain't gonna go you ain't gonna shout over to them and go hey i need you out of my shot please you know you're just gonna you're just gonna negotiate either moving a bit away from that spot and trying another angle or just removing it in post and i don't think um and i think this is the big thing to consider is that post-processing mm. has always happened exactly the fact that, the fact that it's photoshop it's just that it would have been done in a dark room and oh, it would have, yeah. yeah, dodging and burning and stuff it's like that. It does say in that article there that they would use uh, a lot of techniques were used, in, you know, over two centuries ago. Yeah. And it, it, it's the case of the matter that, like, it's just got digitalized a lot of that process has now. And I think that Photoshop has ended up just being categorized as part of that post processing thing that people say is a taboo kind of thing. The yeah. only reason that Photoshop exists is because it's made a digital version of something that already existed. Yeah. So it's made those their digital tools for digital files for I mean, an analog Twitter process. Is probably the biggest claim to fame that Adobe's probably got with their with Photoshop because something like something like that has not been possible. Like even in manual processing, because Content Aware detects using you know machine learning. Obviously, I'm not going to overdo it because I know people know a lot about this. But with the machine learning, it identifies what things can be replicated yeah. and it can it can either fail or it can be very useful and the new version of content aware for in adobe um photoshop 2020 is phenomenal like the improvements yes. they've made uh you can just literally like quick lasso round stuff and go i don't want that here bang and it's nine times out of ten it will do so at least a partially good job of getting rid of something mm. and at least then you've got that ability to sort of go well actually do you know what if if I just have to clone a little bit out that it's screwed up on the edge, I'll do that. But it saves you an my, awful my, lot of work. My only my only thing that I'd say that I don't I don't like about um, Adobe in the, in that sort of thing is that they they don't have a real easy way of doing that in Lightroom. That might just be me not knowing my settings well, but I think Content Aware would actually really be helpful in Lightroom, in my opinion. Maybe they do have like a. They've got a healing brush, haven't they? Yeah. 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 They've got, they got a healing brush. Not, I don't think it's sophisticated, though, is it? But I don't think it's designed to be because Photoshop no. is your image editing software and Lightroom is meant to be retouching, yeah. isn't it? That's the thing. That's, so, that's, yeah. Um, it's, it's not probably for part of the reason why I, 
I, I, I use a combination of Lightroom and I, I don't use Photoshop because I don't have it on my subscription anymore. So I only use it on my, on my laptop because I've only got a single license subscription. So I use that just for like, you know, manipulation of photos and stuff. And while we're in lockdown, using it for work uh, to do stuff for the college that I work for. So, but I, I use Pixelmator on my iPad because it's quite close to being native with the, the things that it offers. And it doesn't have anything, you know, on that scale, but lassoing with a, with a stylus is God tier. Like you, you have, you're so detailed and like people like Billy might even use like a, a Wacom tablet in a studio to go in for finer details. You never know. Those kind of things. Love me a Wacom. Yes. So definitely. And I think the other thing is, as well, is like post-processing, like obviously we've talked before about like composite photos, like combining mm. two photos together. So taking the sky from Double one photo and putting it into a landscape. I don't think it's cheating. I think what you're doing is you combine, if you've took both photos particularly, I think what you're doing is mm. taking some of your best stuff and combining it together. It's a different form of creativity. It's almost like an assist really, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't think it should be perceived as as, as cheating. And I, I understand why there is yeah. a perception that it might be cheating. I do get that because... There is the, that sort of nice feeling that you get a decent shot that doesn't require anything. It's like that. It's that yeah. hashtag no filter kind of thing, isn't it, yeah. as well, in social which, media? Which you know that hashtag no filter, 99% of the photos are filtered or at least have yeah. some edits done to them. But yeah. And, and you can argue that the photo has already been post-processed down by Instagram because it's degraded the quality. Yeah, well, um, most... You know, if you took a photo on your phone... Or if you took a photo on your um, on your digital SLR or whatever, it's been processed to a JPEG anyway, so it has had processing. Unless, you're doing it, unless you've got obviously raw. Obviously, but even then, to view the raw, it's been processed. So oh, yes, it's, some it's, form it's of processing has been processed. Sort, yeah. So, so it's not like a, it's more like a ninety-nine point nine nine percent rather than a hundred percent. And raw photos. To be honest, if if people just took raw image quality photos on a camera and posted them out as a native like just literally took the raw file save as put it as a jpeg and posted them out they'd look crap because raw photos mm -hmm. are deliberately bland they're deliberately flat they're designed yeah. to retain all the detail yeah. but no contrast no real punch to the yeah. photos you, you think of a more like you think of i guess like a sort of 2d landscape and when you edit it you you add Make that, it pop. that detail that yeah. makes it more pop again yeah yeah i mean if i showed you um if I showed you the photo that I posted recently of Canuck Chase, if I show you the before and the after, I think you'd be quite surprised, considering that it's just mm. been taken, um, and it literally was taken on, uh, it was taken on my proper camera, uh, but the difference yeah. is, is that it was taken uh, with, well, arguably, uh, it was edited from a JPEG, so it wasn't edited from a from a, a RAW. I edited it from a 24 megapixel JPEG. So uh, you guys will be able to see this, but it will give you an idea of how much the lighting changed. So that's the after. So, oh, yeah, I can yeah. see. I just saw that there. It was really dark. It was really dark on the tops, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's too difficult to show them. But what I will My do... Lord. I'm oh, gathering from what, from what you're trying to show, though. I know why. It's because I was in selective edit. Okay, hang on. So we got that one. Come on. There you go. Oh, oh yes, so yes, that's what I was the original. And so then, in whoosh. that original photo, the you, you the blues aren't very punchy, so you've yeah. brought the blues back. So there we go. So huge difference to the foreground, and like some of the others as well, it'd be very very similar. So um, if I was because people show... do shoot, they do shoot shoot for the details, and if you told somebody that they could only shoot for the details, but then they couldn't bring the highlights back later, what's the point? Yeah. So that's a finished uh, landscape for the guys that are on the podcast. There's the original. Yeah, the white sky is the, way too white. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's night. It's night and day. I think that's the the one thing to encompass this whole point. Saying it's not cheating, it's perfecting really. Because when you when someone cheats, like like let's say someone cheated you out of money, you're never getting that money back. Whereas with the post processing, you're actually making something that you had to begin with way better. So you're not losing anything; you're gaining it. You know. Yeah. So I think what it does, it just complements. It complements the photo, and it, I suppose the thing is, is like when I take, I post those uh, photos. What I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to make it look how it looked through my eyes, because the yeah. camera doesn't, the camera, the camera never captures exactly what your eyes are seeing. Um, know, it's not 100% accurate, and even with the, the, you know, the camera fixing settings later, like you know, the le lens correction, those things are very important because you, you, even if you're going to go and post it on your phone, you've heard words do the post processing like that for you. It's no, and it is interesting. I, I still. Um, I'm quite a big fan of a bit of vignetting on a lens. Like I don't yeah, mind. I, I don't. I don't mind a bit of vignetting on most of my shots. Um, so it's quite interesting that often what I tend to do is I tend to manually correct the like do the the lens correction. So I'll get it to auto mm. lens correct uh, on my. Uh, it doesn't do it on all my lenses, but most of them. And then mm. um, what I then do is then go back in and add vignette, which it's probably just removed uh in the in the lens corrections but it's because i think aesthetically it looks nicer so i think that's one of those things so yeah i, I don't i don't with, think it's with, cheating with, with, a, with the vignetting um i actually discovered the other day that vignetting in uh in whiter light rather than darker light actually adds like a sort of icing effect as well which yeah. i think is very very nice and if you didn't have that post-processing hap uh, potential then a photo that would arguably fill um, would fill that void of extra detail and extra, uh, you know, just 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 look at someone's eyes in a photo when you've edited it. You see how much more detail is someone's eyes. Like you look at their photo outside, they maybe the lighting wasn't enough where their eyes were able to give the full range of their color. Like my eyes are light blue. If I took a photo out now outside now and I posted it, you would not be able to tell any, you know, any reflection in my eye you will be able to see any of my retina it would just be blown out whereas if you then went into editing that you'd be able to bring that that eye color back you'd also be able to bring out more of the white in my eyes and then it would actually more look like i'm not a zombie and not like dead in the eyes so the idea that that's cheating then is is, is lying really because you're lying about what you look like so yeah <laughs> so i think it post-processing just adds uh, that last sort of finishing touch doesn't it to an image yeah, that's, that's what we're it saying. It makes it a masterpiece. Definitely. Anyway, um, nice way to wrap up. I think it's been quite a good episode mm. discussing some of the myths and the conception, uh, yeah, misconceptions that people might have about photography as we go through. Um, so yeah, so this has been episode twenty-three, and uh, I've been John Willis at JRE Willis, Billy at BPH UK, and Josh Deakin at Mr. Josh Deakin. Until next time, bye for now. Goodbye. Bye.